when you look at tech stacks and some of the bigger companies in the world, and if you've ever like sat with one of them, and, and I'm going to be very careful about what I say next, you, you would probably sweat a little bit more about the technology you use if you knew what was really powering it. It's kind of like if people realize that McDonald's injects silicone to their fries to give them the shape, <laughs> how many less people would eat McDonald's fries? Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Audience First. I am thrilled to be back with a very special guest today. I have James Azar online with me today. I feel like James, you and I are already family given the pre-discussion. We're family. <laughs> we're family, we're family uh, not just because we're in the industry together fighting the, the same fight, but we are both Israeli-Americans, which is exciting. Very exciting. So I, so I was thrilled and excited and a little bit taken aback when I heard you say, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> I was like, what? You, know, you, know, you know, the best part of that, um, you know, that really relates to your, to your podcast is whenever I get on a call with a vendor from Israel, and they don't mm -hmm. know I speak Hebrew because they don't, they haven't done their homework. Like if you look at my LinkedIn profile and you look at the languages I speak, Hebrew's right there. Okay. So right? I, I totally overlooked that because I did look at your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> I totally overlooked speak Hebrew. You know, I, I was taken aback by the, all the cool podcasts you were doing. And uh, I mean, I could see it now. What are you, Moroccan uh, origin? Turkish. Turkish. Okay. Half all Turkish, right. half Polish. All right. Nice. That's a... So I'll take my gefilte fish and my Moroccan spicy fish simultaneously. <laughs> a deadly mix there. All right, love it. Cool. Okay, so how do you how do you pronounce Azar in, in with an Israeli accent? Azar. Azar. Okay, there you go. Como asi, right? I know. I was like, we're not related. <laughs> there you go. No one you know? knows who Asi Azar is right now. Like people are yeah. going to go, like, what are they talking about? Only Israelis would know. I'm going to send this to him. He'll be thrilled. Um, <laughs> All right, cool. So James, it's it's awesome to have you on the show. Uh, welcome to Audience Thank First. Thank you for having me. So James, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? So who am I? That's a great question. I'm a person who <laughs> resides in the United States of America. I'm passionate <laughs> about, you know, uh, I'm, I'm father to two amazing children. Uh, I say that's my pride. My youngest, my oldest is 17 and my youngest is uh, 13 months old. Um, you know, so I took a big break in between, but you know, restarting is always good, uh, irregardless. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, my kids are, I think everything, um, my, my, my wife, who's amazing. Um, like I'm, I'm very much in love and like love my family. Right. And, and everything around my life is around them and, and mm -hmm. them having, having everything they need. Um, security to me was kind of, I guess, DNA. Right. Like I was always into security, uh, whether when I was in the military or, or then 
every career thereafter. Security kind of always rode with me along the way. Um, up until uh, very early this week, I was a CISO for a fintech startup that unfortunately failed to secure funding. And Monday morning, our entire team was uh, was laid off and the company is being wound down. And it's, uh, it's very somber, but it's the reality of being in business. I think in today's economic in- environment, as you can, you know, you can work hard at stuff, but I think you learn more from failures than you do with successes. And for 13 months, I got to build what I consider to be a modern enterprise security program that had none of the traditional catches of traditional kind of security programs with the on-prem hybrid type of model, right? And um, work with unbelievable security vendors and very, very smart people over that last you know year on them actually trying to figure out how do they get a product in our hands that can actually work for what we're doing, which I felt mm-hmm. was, uh, was unbelievable. And so when, you know, that's, that's, you know, now I'm on, I'm on to my next challenge, I guess I'm taking some time to, you know, think, reflect, consider what I want to do next, how I want to do it. And, and, and I'll continue, you know, helping the community. I've been mentoring in cyber for, you know, six years. I've been, you know, I think I pride myself on taking, you know, building a team that's, that's hardworking, loyal, and doesn't work within the confines of the box. I think mm-hmm. outside the box, I have a very Israeli approach when it comes to teamwork. Yell at me now. It's okay. Uh, but don't <laughs> tell me I told you so. Cause the moment you say, I told you so is the moment we can't work together anymore. If you knew something and you didn't say anything about it, then you probably shouldn't be in my team. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Resonates hard. Yeah. All right, cool. So, I mean, you mentioned you were a startup CISO until just recently. And uh, I'm sorry for for the cuts there. I know that can't be easy for for anyone uh, these days. And I was always interested, though, um, you know, because I've I've been interviewing a lot of uh, CISOs in enterprise organizations. Uh What... What is the difference between a startup CISO and a CISO within an enterprise organization? So there, there's, a, there's a lot of different, there's a huge amount of difference. And, and here's what I'll say, because I've been an enterprise CISO. I was a, before my last two roles, I was a CISO for a $200 billion a year company, right? So very enterprise. I think there's a difference in the role of the CISO when you're in a big enterprise, which is you're more playing with the board of directors and you're, you're less in the day-to-day of cyber operations and you're more in the day-to-day of, of, of building the bridges you need to continue <laughs> to develop your security program and then solve problems for your VPs, directors, and then, you know, your downstream uh, employees. In, in a startup, um, the CISO role is, is far more intense. And it's more intense for a whole slew of reasons. Most startups don't have a lot of money. So, you know, from a security hire perspective in in my last role, right, we had two security people on from pretty much day one, right? Um, Because that was a priority. So you don't often see that. But knowing that we're building a financial product, it was really important to have security built in from the ground up. And that's that's how it kind of all started. 
And so you're not, you're, you're a CSEL, but you're a security architect and you're a security engineer and you're an analyst and you're, um, you're, you're dabbling with compliance and privacy and you're doing everything and you're trying to do it on a shoestring budget and the creativeness and your ability to squeeze the lemon for every single last piece of juice is so critical. You know, the, the one thing I would say about a startup CISO to an enterprise CISO, the difference, and I'll compare it to food because everyone relates to food. It's the difference between being in a restaurant where waste is acceptable to the new trend of zero waste in new chefs, right? Where they use every single bit and piece of every vegetable, fruit, or, or protein, or carb that they use. There's nothing that goes to waste, meaning there's no... 12 garbage bags going out at the end of the day, there's maybe two, right? Because of that. And so in, in, in a, a startup CISO is a zero waste CISO. You buy a product, you're going to want to use everything in that product. You're going to want to deploy 100% of it. You're not deploying 30, you're not deploying 40. You're not kind of putting it on the shelf and having it sit there. You're more interested and you really want to have zero waste. So you have mm-hmm. no room for error, mm-hmm. um, very little room for error. So you find yourself um, having to be very creative with the kind of vendors you pick because they become your partners and they truly do become your partners. Um, the way you uh, negotiate and, and buy from vendors and how you set those expectations because it's very different in enterprise when right. you've got a whole team that's an implementation team and there's a very long and kind of thought thoughtful process with different stakeholders around buying something to in a startup where it could be three, four people that are really the decision makers, but everyone's so busy building their own thing that all they care about is, you know, just get me the layer of defense I need to do this. Um, And so you find yourself having to be more, more in tandem. And I think in a startup, because startups are smaller, the relationship aspect is much, much easier than per se in enterprise. So in enterprise, everyone has a title and you have someone who you report to. There's kind of like this, this, this structure, this separation. But in a startup, everyone's with everyone. So me and our CTO and our chief engineering officer and our chief innovation officer and, and our marketing officer and all of our product owners, we all sat in one room. So there was never a disconnect uh, between any of us. Uh, the relationship side was, 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 was much stronger. I find that interesting because, you know, I've been on the vendor side where we've had to sell into the enterprise and I could understand that maturity of security teams was key in selling our product because of, of value and use, but is it safe to say, or I, I won't lead, I won't go in with a leading question, but maturity of security teams, is that like a real thing? Because I, I feel like, I feel like what I'm hearing is there's higher efficiency with a leaner team than with potentially a mature, a more mature team. Different organizations have different challenges. Maturity of security team, I think breaks down into two, two distinct, very different things. I thought I had a very mature security team because I hired very, very smart people to do very smart work. Right. Um, 
in, in larger enterprises, though, I can tell you that sometimes you have teams that are in play, not because of maturity, but rather because of immaturity and, and lack of innovation, right? So people that are, that are trying to maintain a system um, that really should be revamped, but no one wants to revamp it, or there's a lot of headwind in revamping it for a whole slew of reasons, cost, talent, potentially people thinking that if they revamp a product, they lose their job. By the way, very, very common in engineering and DevOps, right? Like sometimes they want to keep running a system that only six people understand <laughs> and not shy away from it because they're afraid that if they do kind of revamp it, then no one needs them mm-hmm. and they could potentially lose their job. Um, and and so in, in larger enterprises, you see that. I think there there is such a thing as a mature security team. Um, to answer your question bl- bluntly, but I think that that's a bigger challenge in larger enterprises to define maturity. Mm-hmm. Why? And because if you look at most large enterprises today, they're you know when when you look at tech stacks and some of the bigger companies in the world, and if you've ever like sat with one of them, and, and I'm going to be very careful about what mm-hmm. I say next, you you would probably sweat a little bit more about the technology you use if you knew what was really powering it. It's kind of like if people realize that McDonald's injects silicone to their fries to give them the shape, <laughs> how many less people would eat McDonald's fries? Because mm-hmm. they inject a little bit of silicone in every single fry to give it that crisp, that, that puffiness that's, that's, that's in there. Oh, so, y- so you're like serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's shit. Okay, so no more McDonald's. Or it, well, no more McDonald's. Fry. I mean, <laughs> but even their meat, right? Even the McDonald's meat isn't real. I mean, in Israel, it's very different from the States, right? In Israel, they right. use actual real meat. They have to because of their yeah. kosher certification. But their fries, for example, are not. That's why when I go to a McDonald's in Israel, uh, I'll order potatoes. I won't order fries because the potatoes yeah. are real. The fries are not. The fries is the classic McDonald's recipe that doesn't change anywhere in the world. Right. Um, but but in the states, I won't touch McDonald's fries because there's actually different things injected in it to give it kind of like shape, crustiness, look, and so forth. There, it's, it's, p- people should really, you know, look at that. But the same applies here with with kind of the maturity of of a security program. It's it's that maturity of of being able to uh, kind of recognize what what a, a, a team needs to do and what a team has to do. To, mm-hmm. to reach that kind of, ulti- I don't want to say ultimate goal, but to reach that, um, I think where my, where my brain's going is, is to reach that implementation of it. You can have really smart people work on really dumb projects sometimes. And I think in enterprise, a lot of times that's more common. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the issue of budgeting, right? And I mm-hmm. think that goes direct, that, that's another PC or question, which is kind of, you know, can you have mature mature programs. Yeah. Um, but then there's an issue of, you got to spend money and sometimes, you, you know, you've got to spend that money irregardless. So you end up buying things that you only maybe need 5% of it, but you're buying it and, and you're buying it to spend the money so that you don't lose that money next year thing. By the way, that's, that's a bad, um, that's just bad overall in companies, right? Yeah. Able to come under, if someone is able to come under budget, don't take it away from them. Um, Right. Understand that they're probably trying to to get things done. Um, right. 
And it's a, but, but I'll, I'll tell you this though, kind of wrap this all up so we can go get to your next question. It's easier to get things over to finish line in a startup based on my experience than it is mm-hmm. to get things across the finish line in an enterprise. Mm-hmm. Much, much easier. Because in startups, we want to get things done. That's that mentality. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to be a CISO in an enterprise with startup mentality, run lean operating teams, that are able to get things through the finish line, I think most of our enterprises would be in much better shape. What, as a startup CISO, what is your one bleeding neck challenge that kind of gets you not across the finish line? Budget. It's budget. always budget. It's always mm-hmm. budget, right? Mm-hmm. You're always fighting for money as a startup CISO. Mm-hmm. Always. I mean, every conversation you have with your CFO, which you're, you know, I reported to our general counsel and our COO. So like every conversation was, I need to fill a few more roles. I need to get a few more people. Um, and, and you're always having that conversation because you always want to keep budget top of mind um, in a startup because as they raise more money and as they're kind of looking to break funding down, you want to make sure you get yours. As a CISO, that's your top responsibility. Is you got to make sure that you're constantly getting the allotment. Um, and you've also got to understand how finance works. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big thing is, you know, like go read an economics book or, or, or sit with a bunch of CFOs and understand, you know, the buckets of budgeting um, and how the company looks at spend. Because so, some companies will use different buckets for different things. And a lot of times we miss that as CISOs, right? Like, like in an enter- if, if, if I took an enterprise role again, I would have an accountant for my security team. I would have someone in accounting on my security team that would understand how the company's budgeting and different buckets worked so that I can maximize my budget gap. I would have an accounting and a marketing person on my team. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. Those would be two roles I would budget for and would have on my team. Because you can't, you, you, can't potenti- you can't run an enterprise without those two roles. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that, um, you know, given budget constraints, because it's, you know, your lean team and there's not all the budget in the world in startup life. Um, we, many of us on, on this session know that. Um, that impacts the way you evaluate, you know, products and, and vendors and the way you buy products. What are some of the factors in your decision-making process that, that trigger you, trigger you to buy? So, so great question. Um, I can tell you that for me, it wasn't, it was one product comp comparability to what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, but equally of value Mm -hmm. is how supportive is that, that partner going to be to my program? So I've had, you know, in, in the last year, you know, with the vendors we worked with, I worked with um, and, and became friends and, and family with so many vendors um, because, of the, because of the partnership we developed. Um, and so in a startup, I think the difference is you're looking for partners. You're not looking for vendors. The V word doesn't, didn't exist in my lexicon in my last role. Um, everyone I met with was, I'm looking for a partner. If you can be a partner, great. If you can't, then we probably won't work. And I can tell you I've passed on companies um, because I didn't feel like it was a partnership. I felt like they were looking for another logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not interested in giving you a logo. I'm interested in having you be a security partner to my program. 
meaning are you willing to jump on a weekly call um, or, or a midnight call if I need you to? Because I don't have the team. I don't have all the expertise, and I'm going to need you to support us. Um, and if you can do that, then we've got a contract, and, and we've got a partnership, and a long-term one, because I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you stuck with me when I'm weak, when I'm big and strong, you'll, you'll never go anywhere unless your product becomes so away from what the market norms are and so neglected that you become a risk or liability for my program. Right. Do you see any kind of differences or anomalies right now in the market that your partners could take advantage of to stand out? You know, I, I think something I talked about this morning on, on my podcast, um, and something that I've been talking about a, a lot is a, around all these third party collaboration products. So we're a dispersed workforce. People are all working, not only all over the country, but all over the world, right? You can work, you can have people on your team that are in Israel, UK, um, Austin, Texas, San Francisco, California, Atlanta, Georgia, New York, and Miami. Um, and you can have, still have people in Bangladesh and that collaboration, all these new collaboration softwares are now becoming a greater liability for an organization. They cost money. So you're paying for collaboration software, but no one's thinking about that security. And the way that security works is it becomes kind of like a third party. Well, are we using MFA? Are we going to do SSO? And that's great. That's one side of it, but that's not all of it, right? That's just a small piece of those collaboration softwares is what data is allowed to be on there, like a more expansive DLP tool, right? DLP tools that can go into these collaboration softwares to give you the visibility you need of the data that's sitting in potentially Teams or SharePoint or Slack or anything like that. Even for those vendors, like even in conversations I've had with my peers in in some of those vendors, I've talked about the need to have DLP tools. Like Microsoft has kind of like their defender for DLP kind of built across their entire product suite, but it's not, it's kind of, you know, it's very basic. Um, And I think that's one anomaly where, where I think the more collaboration tools there are, the more DLP you're going to need and the more data visibility you're going to need. And I think that's going to be critical. I, I see the big cloud vendors um, and, and, you know, like the Orcas and, 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 and the Wizzes and the Palos, um, they're going to have to go down that collaboration route at some point um, and sooner rather than later, because I think that's, you're, you're, we're going to start to see that really become a big issue, especially given the fact that most of those integrations are done through APIs and I don't mm-hmm. need to, you know, I can go and I can spend an hour and a half talking about APIs um, <laughs> and just the danger and the inherent need to really understand how to architect your, your infrastructure around APIs and then how you architect security around it and how you really kind of try to utilize multiple products and, you know, defense in depth on your APIs. Otherwise you're, you're really leaving yourself out there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned podcasting. Yeah. Okay. You've had a podcast for almost five years now, 4.7, 4.8. Why 27? What was that? 2017, May of 2017. So four and a half years. And what that's, you have three, I think three podcasts, right? So, yeah, I mean, um, I have the cyber hub podcast. So talk and goodbye privacy. I haven't done a new season of goodbye privacy since 2020. Um, you know, now maybe that I've got some time off, um, 
over the next month, I'll put a, no, a whole new season out there. Um, I may just lock myself down here for a few days and, and do a marathon of recordings. Um, I do the daily cyber hub podcast. That's a live show. I do every single day, Monday through Thursday. Um, you know, it's kind of 10 minute podcast talking about what you're reading, what you're seeing and what it means. And CISO talk, I haven't done an, a season of CISO talk since my kid was born 13 months ago. Uh, Cause I've been so busy, uh, obviously a startup and a new baby at home. I took a year off and, and I'm actually uh, bringing that back here in the next month or so. Love it. Love it. I'm, I'm a fan. I've been listening and I've been following you for, for quite some time back since my Gardecore days. So, so good on you on the podcasting. I, I want to know though, you know, I, in my conversations with other CISOs, I've understood that podcasting is valuable for them as a, as a, as a medium to, to consume. But why, in your opinion, is podcasting so valuable, valuable in the cybersecurity, in the cybersecurity community? So, so I think there's inherent value in a conversation over text. Um, you know, our, our mutual friend, Chris Roberts, um, he's probably the best text communicator I know on the planet. Um, and I say that because when he writes a post, it's very clear opening, middle, end with what he wants you to take away from the post. Very few people are able to articulate themselves that well in writing today. Um, and I think that's because we live in a Twitter world. We live in a social media world where um, could you do it in 140 characters? Could you do it in 280? So those long thought of kind of very articulate type of writing are, are, are extremely rare. Um, for us in security, we look at that and we read research papers. And really, you know, what most people don't know is if you ask any CISO, tell me about your day, two to three hours of your day is reading, like literally reading, whether it be white papers, whether it be, you know, um, um, threat reports, whether it be, you know, architectural reviews or diagrams, you're, you're, you're really constantly reading. And there comes a point where your eyes are tired and your brain's exhausted and you want to listen. And podcasting tends to be that medium. I find that you're able to get more across in 10 minutes in a podcast every single morning talking about all the headlines that are out there and picking four or five of them and, 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 and going into um, what does it mean and what you probably should be doing this morning um, to address it than it is to go read an entire CVE notice and consider what it means. And then, you know, the amount of vulnerability management tools that are out there today is ridiculous. And everyone, you know, there's no new vulnerability management tools, by the way. That's the one thing I want to point out to something he asked me earlier. What's an anomaly? Build better vulnerability management tools that can auto patch. Really, world? <laughs> like, really? 2023 is like, what, 38 days away? We still have the same vulnerability management tools our grandparents used. <laughs> and every every new vulnerability management tool out there today is just we take all that data and give it to you and i'm like i swear to god if i get one more of those i'm done like I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna put vulnerability management on my spam block list right because it is like 
that kind of goes to what podcasting is all about to me, the ability to articulate ourselves and create a community. And you feel something when you and I talk, when people that are listening to us, they'll relate to our personalities based on, on how our voice makes them feel based on the way we communicate and what we say and how we say it. Mm-hmm. I think that's very different from reading because, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, I read a lot. You can tell behind me, there's a whole slew of books and there's even more. Um, I've got a whole library upstairs. Um, I enjoy reading, but when I read, you, you kind of imagined author's voice, but when you're listening to mm-hmm. a podcast, get the author's voice. There's something very special, by the way, when an author audibles his own book, because the way they read it is the way they want you to read the book. The words, the chapters, the, the tone of how they read, of how they read their book is the is is really articulating their story in an emotional level that really sinks in and gives you that memory that's what pod, that's why i think podcasting is revolutionizing this whole industry and yeah i mean it's easier for me to listen to a 10 minute podcast than read for 30 minutes because i spend so much time reading yeah amen well you've actually been very successful in publishing a high amount of episodes in fact i think it's 133 on the ciso talk podcast and i'm i'm kind of zooming in on ciso talk because i want to know out of the 133 episodes uh-huh. what are kind of the top 3 things that stood out to you or surprised you from all your conversations with those cisos so i think the top one is the challenges of yesterday remain the challenges of today. Smart people in security, um, thinking outside the box. I think a lot of CISOs um, share that 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 share that kind of challenge. The other one is getting security top of mind across your executive leadership. Um, I I never um, I think in the 133 episodes. Um, 133 conversations. And by the way, I've done probably five or six that we never published. <laughs> um, right. Like the, the common challenge uh, for, for all of them was also, how do we get security top of mind at the board? How do we communicate security? How do we build ROI out of security? There's a lot of things that are top of mind for a CISO. Um, and there, and there's a big difference between young CISOs and, and, and more mature, more experienced CISOs. And I've had the opportunity to speak to both on CISO talk and um, you'll see that the younger CISOs are more concerned with technology while the older, more mature, more experienced CISOs are more concerned about relationships and visibility. Mm, um, it kind of goes to how the, how when we're young, we're, we're tending to want to solve all the problems. And as we grow older, we realize the only way you can solve problems is if people have visibility to the problem you have. So if people don't Mm -hmm. know that you have a problem, if that problem isn't being communicated effectively, then it's going to be very hard to solve it. So there's people who jump into the pool swimming, and there are other people who are looking to get more lifeguards to save everyone that's drowning. Mm. Right? So so there's that. And and, And I think the final thing I will tell you that I took out of it is we're all very much divided as to what makes buzzwords. One of my favorite mm-hmm. segments in CISO talk was my buzzword graveyard. Uh, mm-hmm. My buzzword graveyard was, uh, give me one buzzword you'd bury in my graveyard. And zero <laughs> trust, which is now an actual policy, right? 
<laughs> was in my graveyard. I think out of those 133 episodes, like 50 some odd times. Um, well, what is it about zero trust that irked you? For me personally, I think it was the name, mm-hmm. right? I think if we talk about relationships and we talk about building bridges of security um, and IT, because security for, for a very long time, and even in, in a lot of circles today, still viewed a function of IT, not a function of business. Mm-hmm. But security is a function of business. Um, in my last role, whenever we would do like a, 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 a leadership whiteboarding session and you'd kind of build engineering here, right? DevOps here, architecture. There's a few lines that go and touch every single department. Finance is one of them. HR is another, but security is right there. You need security to do good engineering and build a good product. You need security to be built into your SLDC and your 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 IDEs for your developers so that you're not going back and backtracking. You're rather taking care of security vulnerabilities as the code's being written, that you're validating. You've got to have security at your vendor management even before you onboard someone. Where's security there? So security is a function of every single line of business. Um, and I think that's something that's often very, very much missed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and because security is still viewed as an IT function in a lot of circles, it creates a, it, it, it hinders that. And zero trust um, doesn't sit well. Uh, because if you say we shouldn't trust anyone to a group of executives or a group of employees, um, then that takes away that teamwork, that camaraderie. If I went to the military and said, don't trust anyone here, well, someone who was in the military, right? The guy next to me, I had 100% trust in. And the other guy on my right and left, I had 100% trust in. I had to because my life depended on it and their life depended on mine. Mm-hmm. So, so th- that's part of a camaraderie. That's part of teamwork is trusting one another. Right. So say zero trust. Zero trust is bad marketing. The trust but verify approach that you know mm-hmm. was part of the DOD um, write-up yesterday from the DOD CIO around mm-hmm. the zero trust strategy for, for, for DOD and, and, and across the DOD. He talked kind of zero trust strategy kind of in big names, but then everything he said was trust but verify in the Mm -hmm. document. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. It's much more powerful to say, we want to trust all of our partners. We want to trust all of our employees. We want to trust all of our executives. We want to trust everyone in our, but we also want to validate and verify that they are who they say they are. And our process is going to be, we're going to trust you, but we're also going to validate you. We're going to Mm -hmm. verify that, that, that the actions that you're taking are valid and, mm-hmm. and it's, mar- it's purely marketing. I think zero trust became so divisive um, because of that, because of that bad marketing. Yeah. Apart from using buzzwords, what do you think are some cardinal rules that vendors, marketers, salespeople, what's above, below, and between, behind 360 degrees are, you, are breaking these days? So, so I think get away from buzzwords. And, and I think most of us CISOs just give me a, one minute video of what the problem you solve. If you mm-hmm. can't tell me what you're doing in 60 seconds, I'm probably not taking the meeting. Yeah. I'm not. And, and you know, one funny thing is uh, I think there was a post a little while ago on Twitter or, or, or LinkedIn. I forgot where it was uh, where someone said, give me your favorite vendor line. And everyone said, just give me 15 minutes, right? Can I get 15 minutes on your calendar? And, <laughs> um, we don't have 15 minutes most of the time. Yeah. A lot of times people are approaching the CISO 
thinking we're going to go top down approach. Mm-hmm. And what I've, at least my style is you're going to go to the people who your products is going to be helping them make better decisions and get better visibility, be able to operationalize. If they're interested in the product, if they see it as being something that adds a lot of value to them, that's a conversation that I'm willing to get on. But what I'm not going to do is get on a 15 minute call um, for, no, for no reason. Um, um, and, 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 and I also think that you really, really need to train your SDRs. Um, that's often overlooked. Um, but if your SDR doesn't come from a cyber background, investing in having them speak to assess, you're going to burn your company having an inexperienced SDR rep jump on a call and say, we guarantee that this will never happen with our product. Like Mm. right then and there we go, all right, how do you guarantee it? And within two minutes, I shred that poor person's confidence, not because I want to, but because he's been mistrained and he needs to go back to his boss and get the proper training of what to say and not to say. Mm -hmm. Um, Or AI. My favorite one is when people drop, well, our AI do this. I'm like, so tell me the basic principles of how your AI operates. And they can't answer that. Like I'd say proper training is really important. Um, don't use buzzwords. Be able to explain something in a 60-second video. There's more power to a 60-second video than any white paper or PDF. There just is. Because you kind of asked me, why podcasting? Same reason, why video? You can write use cases and white papers for people to read because those are still extremely valuable mm-hmm. for us to learn how you solved a complex problem as a vendor. Your good yeah. use cases. Um, don't send us a one-pager. Don't send me a one-page PDF. Send me mm-hmm. 60, like at least to me, send me a 60-second video. Here's what we do. Here's the problem we solve. Let's go. If it's a problem I'm trying to solve, we're good. Yeah. Now, this question came up on one of the panels that I ran, or I think maybe on, on a session with, with Chris um, last week. And I want to ask this question once more because it's valuable to me as well. Um you know, case studies, those stories, customer success stories. Sometimes they're hard to get legal from the organization to approve using the logo within in the name within the story. Do anonymized versions still have the same kind of weight and value for you or, yeah. or credibility? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've never agreed to have a, a case study done with my logo on it. Yeah. As a CISO, not even through legal. Right. I'm willing to go on a panel and talk about it with a vendor. I've done that before. Right. Um, but, but, but I don't want my logo out there um, because I feel like that's giving a lot of intel to an adversary that's looking mm-hmm. for that intel to get access to my environment or, or be able to leverage that to fish, uh, do some really good spear fishing or whale fishing. And, and, and you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about our, our need to be transparent, but also our need to think operational security. And you kind of have to balance the two. Right. Um, you definitely want to help your good security partners, and you definitely want to be able to give them some, some credence to, to win more business and, and help them get more revenue because then they invest that in, in better R&D. You get a better product, and overall, you're happier with that partner over a long period of time. Um, 
but I'm very wary. I, I will take an anonymized use case. Um, and that works for me. Awesome. Okay. So we're heading towards the end of the session before we sign off. Is there one thing you want to impart on the audience today? I would say that follow the passion you've got in security to, 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 to the max. Um, don't be afraid to fail in mm -hmm. security. I think security is 95% trial, 5% success. You're going to try a lot of different things and fail um, before you find the right solution. Uh, whether it be an enterprise or startup, don't be afraid to take that risk. And, and I think for security partners listening, get rid of the word vendor and um, start using the word security partner in everything you do. Um, look at how do we foster partnerships. Um, talk to your SDRs, to your solution architects about that partnership and make that word a dollar in the pot every time it's used in a sales call. Um, a lot of them use these, all these different, you know, kind of sales performance tools on Zoom calls and pitches, but make the word partnership kind of like a word that goes on the board yeah, um, yeah. and gets counted positively. I think we all want to work with good partners, but we want to, we want to feel the same way. Um, you know, and I've told, you know, security partners and, and, and I've told vendors before, but the difference between a vendor and a partner is one that I hear from every month. Sometimes, even though I don't need to, but I get that, that email, that 15 minute call, like, Hey, how's everything going? Even if your product is just as easy as plugging it in and never, never having to look at it again. Right. Mm -hmm. A 15 minute monthly call to just check it, check in. What are you working on solving now? Really cool. You know what? I have a friend because we all have friends that work in other companies that can help you with that. Have you looked at these guys? No. Would you, do you want me to facilitate an intro? That's how you really build partnerships and relationships. And, and that's how you really kind of develop that rapport that everyone's yearning to have with CISOs, and CIOs, and, and anyone in leadership. And I think that's the relationship we as CISOs hope for as well from our partners. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to fail. Use the word partnership. And whatever you do, whatever you do, just do it with the utmost passion you can. I love it. I love it. Noted. <laughs> like your passion for podcasting, Danny. I love like podcasting. You something and you've you've made you've built a community that's bar none a fun, valuable community for a lot of people in this industry. Yeah, it is loads of fun. I'm having a blast. And and this was an absolute pleasure of a conversation. And and we will chat again and we will meet in person. You're you're gonna be here in a few months, so we're gonna go have some dinner and um, maybe do oh, something live even. Oh, I love to do live stuff. Yeah. We um, could do something live. You know, I'm okay. thinking we do live like on golden beach somewhere with the volleyball players behind us. Oh yeah. I like kind of like the life of, uh, you know, I got my road mic. I got my road mic for, Me for, too. for here, the oh, lab mic. I'm I've, all set. I, I have an entire box that I ship with my soundboard, my cameras, my lights. Wow. I, I actually check it in because last year I came to Israel. I was in Israel for a, for uh, a week, but the, during COVID, I was in Israel for a month, right? Because if you remember, you had to come to Israel and you had to do 14-day mandatory quarantine yep. regardless. Mm -hmm. So I still had to podcast. So I bought a beautiful box for my soundboard and my mics and all my equipment. And nice. It's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Something live in person. We will. We will. We'll do that. James, it was a pleasure. Thanks again for joining the show. Thanks, Danny. Pleasure. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.